Good morning, Redemption Hill Church. I hope you're doing well today. First and foremost, I wanted to thank you for listening to this sermon. As I am sure you can tell that I am not, in fact, Sean Powers. Uh, For those who do not know, he has gone up to Minnesota to preach at Cornerstone Community Church in Burnsville, so he has asked me to step in so that we could continue our walk through the book of Acts. Now before just jumping into our text for today, I think it is important to remember and review what has happened to Paul and Barnabas in the preceding verses. The context of what happened help us understand the significance of what is happening in Acts 14, 21 through 28. Now I'll try to keep this overview brief. Now back at the beginning of chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas entered into Iconium and preached the word of God, and this was accompanied by signs and miracles. The people became divided over their teaching, and the Jews and Gentiles attempted to harm and stone Barnabas and Paul, and this is what caused them to flee to Lystra. At Lystra, there was a crippled man who never walked. Paul, seeing that the man had faith, commanded this man to walk, and he was miraculously healed. If we remember from last week, instead of turning to God in faith, the people of Lystra reverted back to their pagan ways. They saw Paul as the god Hermes and Barnabas as Zeus. The people wanted to make sacrifices to Paul, and as Sean pointed out last week, it would have been very tempting to be treated like a god. But Paul and Barnabas would not compromise. They tore their clothes in anguish at this blatant idolatry and pointed the people back to the one true god. The Jews from Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra then came together and stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city. And he was so badly hurt that the crowds thought he was dead. But when the disciples came, he rose up, he entered back into the city, and on the next day went to the city of Derbe with Barnabas. This brings us then to the text today, which directly flows from this previous narrative. As we walk through this text, there are going to be three main points of and actions of Paul that I wish to highlight today. Each of these actions serves to expand and strengthen the kingdom of God. If we remember, the whole point of Acts is the declaration of the kingdom of God moving and growing from a few hundred people in Jerusalem to reaching as far as Rome. The first action, which we will see in this text, is the proclamation of the word. The second action is the encouragement of the saints And the final action to note is the declaration of what God has done. And we will see as we walk through how each of these aspects of the text applies to our life. The first action of Paul is seen in the first half of verse 21, which tells of Paul's time in Derbe. It says, When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples. Now, this section of the passage is remarkably short, but even though it is brief, there is a lot that we can tease out from these few words. First and foremost, we see the tenacity that Paul has in preaching the gospel. Paul was under threat of being stoned in Iconium, 
and he was stone in Lystra. Each of these was because Paul preached the gospel. Though the text does not tell us Paul's thoughts as he headed to Derby, it is not unreasonable to think that he may have expected to be stoned yet again. Derby was east of Lystra and only 50 miles away. Demographically, it was filled with Jews and Gentiles just as Iconium and Lystra were, and there was a real risk to Paul's life as he preached in Derby. But this did not stop him. It did not stop him in Lystra. It did not stop him here. And we need to stop and think about what this must mean. Because people risk their lives for many reasons. People have risked their life. People have risked their life to save a child from a fire. There have been a few that have jumped on armed gunmen, unarmed themselves, in order to stop the killing of other innocent bystanders. Some people risk their lives for thrill, like skydiving or climbing Mount Everest. In each of each of these situations, there is a calculation that is done in one's mind to see whether the action is worth the risk of your life. And they see their lives as less valuable than saving a child, or stopping a gunman, or conquering a mountain. And Paul too did this calculation. He saw that the gospel was worth more than his life. The preaching of the gospel was so important that not even the threat of death was going to stop him. And I want us to pause on this and really think it through, because this is where the rubber meets the road for us Christians. In our modern age and in our context, there is a lot less than the threat of death that stops our tongues from sharing the gospel to others. There are so many things that stop the word of God, the word of grace, of reconciliation, of peace, and the word of life passing our lips onto others. And I speak in general terms here, but I'm speaking to myself also. There have been many things that have stopped me from sharing the gospel in many different contexts. I can get a fear of offending or ruining relationships I have with friends or family members. And it is one thing to go onto social media and to write out a message to someone I will never meet. And it is quite another to say something to a friend who I'm close with. There have been times when I was fearful of having an awkward conversation. This happens a lot uh, when I went street evangelizing uh, through my school. I, I didn't want to bother someone. I didn't want to make them stop their day to try and listen to me. And I can have a fear of being seen and judged as some sort of crazy Bible thumper. And this for me can stem from a need to seem intellectual and well thought out. And I've had a fear of being in trouble at work or even fired. And in your own reflection, you may relate with some of these fears that I have, and you might have others. However, unlike Paul, our lives are not at risk. Now, I want to clarify a few things now that I've said all of that. I want to be clear that I'm not advocating that we try to offend people, or we try to bother them, or we try to get fired from our jobs. I'm actually reminded of when I was first a Christian at 18 and became a Calvinist. I was in what is known by some as the cage stage of Calvinism. And if you don't know what that is, it was described to me as basically a period in 
someone's life when they become when they first become a Calvinist, and you just want to lock that person in a cage just to let their zeal sort of simmer down for a bit. That way they don't get themselves into trouble. And some are lucky enough to sort of skip over this stage. I, however, was not. When I became a Calvinist and a Christian, I learned about presuppositional apologetics, and in my fervor, I was out to destroy other people's worldviews. I wanted to show how the Christian worldview was the most consistent worldview that was out there. Now, this is true. The Christian worldview is the most consistent out there, but as you can tell sort of by my language, that could have gone horribly, horribly wrong. Especially since my only outlet for this was at work. And the short version of the story is that I was nearly fired from my job three times. And this was not because I was graciously sharing the gospel. It was because I was being a jerk to others with a Christian flair. And this is not what Paul is doing in Derby, and it is not what I am encouraging you to do. We need to be a people that are wise, that are tactful, kind, and gracious as we share the gospel in any situation. But the point is that, just like Paul, we should not fear, and we should not let fear, stop us from sharing at all. The gospel is worth it. It is certainly worth our lives, and what could be a greater price than that? It is also by the preaching of the gospel that the kingdom of God expands, we, expand, we see it expand here in Derby, and it's also how it continues to expand all across the globe. However, this is not the only work that is done for the sake of the kingdom of God. And this brings me to the next portion of our text and to my next point. Starting on the second half of verse 21, we continue reading, They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. This is another fearless move by Paul. I am sure that you have noticed that Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch have not been too kind to Paul, and yet Paul and Barnabas take time to go back through these cities that have threatened their lives. One thing you may not know or notice unless you have a map of this first missionary journey is that these cities are actually out of the way for Paul and Barnabas as they return to the original Antioch that they were commissioned at. Derby is east of Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. However, their home city of Antioch is southeast, yet they went back west to pass through these three cities. There is then something else that is more important to Paul than his life and safety. He goes back with the explicit purpose to encourage and strengthen his fellow believers. You see, our work as Christians does not stop at the conversion of souls. We are also to encourage and strengthen one another. This is not just something for an apostle or a pastor either. Paul gives us commands in 1 Thessalonians 4.18 and 5.11 that we are to encourage one another. Not only should we seek to reach out and share the gospel so that gospel seeds might be planted, but we are also to nurture and care for the faith that comes from those seeds. 
And this reminds me of my wife and her modest amount of plants. Now, I, I am not a plant guy. I think that some plants are awesome, such as herbs, because they're useful. They can make dishes and food taste wonderful. However, I'm not one to buy a plant because uh, they appeal to the eye or they're just pretty. To me, they can tend to just take up space, and I swear that they try to get themselves knocked over whenever I am near them. My wife, on the other hand, loves her plants. She loves their beauty, their fragrance, and they bring her joy. Her love for her plants does not stop when she plants the seeds. No, she has to water these seeds to make sure they sprout. But her love does not even stop there when they sprout, because if she were to just leave them there, they would soon die to lack of care. Instead, my wife spends the time to care for her plants. She trims them, she waters them, and she makes sure that they have enough soil. Paul, too, does not stop when faith first sprouts. He makes sure to go back and nurture the new budding faith of the believers in Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. And we, too, need to care and encourage our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, a question that might arise is, why is it necessary to encourage and care for others? And for Paul, we see the reason in the second half of verse 22. Paul states that it is through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. It is not hard to imagine that this is a specific reference to his own stoning. His stoning was the tribulation that he just had to face. And it is also not hard to imagine then that the believers in these cities would have a fear that they would meet the same fate as Paul as they are living in the very same cities that stoned him. And unlike Paul, they may not get back after being stoned. Paul seeks to remind them of the end goal. He reminds them that they are ultimately going to enter in, enter the kingdom of God and into God's presence. See, tribulation then is something that is not to be feared, but should be soberly faced in knowing that there is something far better awaiting us. This is the hope that can encourage someone to continue in the faith. And one thing that needs to be made clear is that Paul is not saying that you must become a martyr in order to enter heaven. This would contradict his own teaching of being saved by grace and faith found in the book of Romans and Ephesians. What he is saying is that the Christian life can be hard. It can be dangerous and it can kill you. But the gospel and the kingdom are worth it. But what about our own context here in America? Because we live in a drastically different world than the one Paul lives in. We do not face the threat of execution, nor stoning. We don't have to face crucifixion. We do not have to be fearful of being thrown into a coliseum filled with lions. We do not need to fear being burned at the stake. And we do not need to fear being tortured or mutilated for our faith. All of these things were not just possible in Paul's time but they were a reality for many Christians in the early church. And praise God that we live in America without these fears. But if Paul can encourage believers that face death, these words can certainly encourage us to continue in the faith. 
Although we do not face bodily harm, the Christian walk still faces challenges that can shake one's beliefs, just like the people in those cities. Remember that the Christian life is not just a physical one, but a spiritual one as well. Paul reminds us in Ephesians 6.12 that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So though we may not face a mob that wishes to stone us, we do face rising secularism, relativism, postmodernism, and natural materialism. And to break these down briefly, essentially we face a country that says more and more that God is not real, or at least not relevant, and that truth is relative to each person, so that what is true for you may not be true for me. And it also posits that all that truly exists is the physical world. In our age and in our context, it's not the fear of death that threatens the faith of Christians, but unanswered questions and doubts that stem from these rising aspects of our culture. Just as Paul sought to encourage the believers in Lystra, Antioch, and Iconium, we must seek to encourage and care for our brothers and sisters whose faith is shaken by questions and doubts. Now, it is my view that in the Christian church, there is a lackluster performance when it comes to caring for and encouraging our fellow Christians, especially young Christians who may be wrestling with tough questions they get from their peers and professors. And I read a, a shocking statistic that around 70% of all Christians who enter university walk away from the faith. Though we cannot say that all of this is due to a lack of encouragement and guidance, I think it plays a big part in it. I'm reminded of a person that I knew back in high school that followed this exact same path. She grew up in the church because her parents were Christian. But as she grew up, she started having doubts about Christianity. And while in life group, she brought these doubts and questions to bear on her leader there. However, instead of wrestling with her questions or even getting back to her, she was just shut down. And this led to frustration. And eventually, she just flat out left. And this is not an uncommon story. It is one that I have heard from many, many others. All of this is to say that we must be a people that seek to encourage each other to continue in the faith, just as Paul does here. If you are someone who has doubts, you should not be afraid to express your skepticism with others so that they can encourage you. And for others, you need to not be afraid to face those challenges. This is something that a pastor can not do alone. It takes the whole body of Christ working together to strengthen one another. This then brings me to my final point. We have seen how Paul preaches the gospel despite the risk to his life, and we see that he has encouraged the church under the same threat. But it is in this final section of the passage where we get to take a step back and get a fuller picture as to what is going on. We read that after Paul and Barnabas work uh, their way through Pisidia, Pamphylia and Perga, that they arrive back in Antioch after sailing from Attilia. They gather the church and they declare at the end of verse 27 all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles.
See, this is the big picture we need to keep in mind. In my first point, I wanted to show that it is through the sharing of the gospel, despite our fears, that expands the kingdom of God. In my second point, I tried to highlight that our work is not done there, that we are to encourage those who are in the kingdom already to stay faithful. But in my final point, I want you to see that it is not ultimately Paul, Barnabas, or you who accomplish these things. It is God who grows his kingdom. It is God who preserves his kingdom. Do you see what this means? It means that it's not all on you. The kingdom will not fail because it is God who is working in it. To borrow a phrase, you are just an instrument in the Redeemer's hands. This does not mean that we do not need to be faithful to what God has called us to do. Though it is God who does the saving, he chooses to do so through men. We must avoid the temptation to think that we can sit out of it because God will save without us. That is the wrong mindset. If we are to think like that, there would have been no point to Paul and Barnabas leaving on this missionary journey to begin with. We are clearly commanded in Matthew 28-19 to go and make disciples of all the nations. But we can be comforted in knowing that the kingdom does not live or die on our efforts. For it is Christ who builds his church. To conclude, I pray from this passage you have seen how the kingdom of God has moved forward despite all the challenges that Paul and Barnabas have faced. I hope that you see that the kingdom will be strengthened and it will preserve through the tribulations that it faces. And I want to remind you that our church stands in the legacy of Acts. The kingdom of God has not stopped expanding. And it is my prayer that Redemption Hill Church will follow the example of Paul, that we will be a people that values the gospel so highly that not even the threat of death could stop us from preaching the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. There is a lot of pain and suffering that has gone on in our nation recently, but we have the message of hope and comfort. Let us preach the gospel to those who need it, Let us encourage one another to be faithful, and let us all rejoice that it is God who will accomplish all these things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for all that you have done. Lord, it was you who planted Redemption Hill Church. It is you that have brought some down from Iowa. It is you who have drawn others to us from Iowa itself. Lord, I pray that if, as we go out through our weeks, that we remember that you are at work and that we are a part of it. Lord, Redemption Hill is going to be facing a new chapter. As COVID-19 settles down, we will be able to essentially replant into a new building. And Lord, let us be a people and let us be a church that reaches out and shares the gospel. May we see souls saved 
And for those in the church, may we love each other, encourage one another, and seek to glorify you. And Lord, we know that the gospel and your kingdom are worth all the effort. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.